Okay, if you would turn tonight to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and beginning at verse 1, says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus in the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, Thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and we'd have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, her Whoso drinketh this water shall thirst again. Whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The hour cometh, and now he is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, say, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth 
and he that rejoiceth, reapeth, may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that wherein you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges of ours to be gathered, assembled together tonight again around your word. And I pray as we look into this passage of scripture, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and help us to realize we have a purpose here in this world that is to glorify you. So Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and, and strengthen us and challenge us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why are we here? You know, we have a purpose in life. If God didn't have a purpose for us, we wouldn't be here. God doesn't do things without purpose. So as we consider tonight, you know, our purpose, and I'm going to relate it to missions, you know, our, that is really our purpose here in this world is to, of course, you know, we could all say generally speaking, we are here to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, we, of course, we can do this. Uh, we do this by, by our mouth, by the way that we live, you know, our testimony. And, and so uh, these are ways that we glorify God and, and testify of his saving grace. You know, Revelation 4.11 says that he is, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, for the, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Uh, we're here, again, we are here to glorify God. That's our purpose in living, uh, the Lord leaving us here on this earth. And everything that the Lord does, he has a purpose. And you and I have a purpose. If you notice here, first of all, I want you to notice his purpose. In verse 4, it says he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, you know, just as the, you know, Jesus came to give the gospel to the Jews, to, give, to present the kingdom of God to the Jews, he also it says he must needs go through the Samaria. Samaria. Now, it, it's significant that the Bible says it the way it does. You know, he being a Jew, and of course you understand, you've probably heard this before, the animosity or the prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans, you know, are, are people that were of the northern uh, ten tribes of Israel that were carried away into captivity, and they intermarried with the Assyrians, basically, and then they, some of them they sent back into the land because, you know, when the Assyrians took, carried them off, they sent Assyrians into the land, and, and they were being attacked by wild animals and all sorts of things, and, and it was, they were having trouble, and, and they, they asked the, the Jews they carried off, what's the problem? And they said, well, they don't know the God of the land. So they sent Jews back to live with these Assyrians, and they intermarried, which is a no-no, which God commanded them not to do. And so because of that, they were looked down upon, considered dogs, or you know, today's terminology, they called them half-breeds, which is not a nice term, but that's, that's how they looked at them. And, and they were looked down upon by the, the Jews uh, of Judea. And so, you know, they would not, you know, even though it was a straight line from Judah, Judea uh, to Galilee going through Samaria, they, the Jews would take a long way around to go to Galilee to avoid Samaritans. There was an animosity there. But the Bible says he must needs 
go through Samaria. Uh, you know, the Lord doesn't make mistakes. You know, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that there's no mistakes in the Christian life either. Now, we take ourselves places and do things that aren't pleasing to the Lord. But sometimes we do what pleases the Lord, and the Lord allows things to come into our life, and He uses those things to bring us to Himself. Your trials are that way. God allows trials to bring us. He gave, he gave trials to the children of Israel to prove them whether they would believe him or not. You know, I thought about this a little bit. You know, Abraham endured trials when he went to the promised land. When he went to the promised land, he, he pitched his tent in Mamre, in the plains of Mamre. He made an altar unto the Lord and worshipped the Lord, and then there, became a, there came a famine. But instead of staying in the land that God had just told him was his, as far as he could see from the, 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 the north, south, east, and west, instead of staying there and trusting God, he went to Egypt. And then Egypt was rebuked. You know, he lied in Egypt. He compromised and came back to the land. A little later on, there's another trial, and he goes to Abimelech. But sometime later, you know, of course, after Isaac's born, all this, God says he, 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 he did tape, tempt Abraham and said, now go offer your son Isaac. And Abraham went and to offer his son Isaac. And I don't read of any more trials that Abraham had after that. Because this is what God said about him. Now I know. Now I know. Thou, thou, thou will obey me. That thou fearest me. Now I know. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Ephesians 1 verse 11. Paul. You know Paul faced. You know he was, he was in the Lord's will. Now think about this. He was in the Lord's will. In mission work. Yet he was beaten with rods three times. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. Uh, you know, he was thrown in prison, beaten the Philippians and thrown in jail. You know, he had all these things happen to him in his journeys. But he was in God's will. He was in God's will. And when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, the psalmist said, the psalmist said, It has been good, it is good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy precepts. Now think about all the things Paul endured. And I really believe that the reason Paul was used so greatly and, and we benefit so much from him was the sufferings that he endured drew him closer, made him more dependent upon his Lord. See, it brought an end to his own strength. It brought an end to his own power because he was put in places where there was nothing he could do. But trust God. I mean, he's in jail. What can he do? He's a prisoner. There wasn't a thing he could do. The only thing he could do was trust God. And so him and Silas sang and prayed at midnight. So 
You know, God doesn't make mistakes. There's no mistakes in our life as we walk with the Lord. You know, again, there are things that God allows in our life that sometimes we don't understand. Uh, but you're not here. You're not here by accident. God ordained it so for your good, for your help, for your growth. You know, we, 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 we would ask the question, did Pharaoh have a choice? Yes, he had a choice. You know, the interesting thing I think about Pharaoh, what, did, was Pharaoh without witness to the goodness of God? Think about it. A couple hundred years earlier, a man was taken captive to Egypt who became governor to the house of Pharaoh who would have witnessed to the glory of God. In fact, he did tell Pharaoh, God shall give you an answer of peace. And yet this Pharaoh that we know of says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Did he not know? Of course he knew. You know, God has brought you here for a purpose. To further reveal himself to you. That he might change you to be conformed to the image of his son. And you know the, the way that works? It's through trials. You know, we like to quote Romans 28 29, where it says, all, all things work together for good. Now, when it says all things, it means the good and the bad. The good and the ugly. They work together for good. For them that love God. For them who are the called according to, this, according to his purpose. And, and you know, again, think about who wrote that. And think about where he wrote it from. He was, again, he was at Corinth. He was at Corinth at the time when he wrote it. But many of his epistles that he wrote, he wrote from prison cells. He understood that God was continually working in his life. And so there are no mistakes. God has a purpose in our life. And, of course, if we consider, you know, furthermore, this purpose that we, he has, we are here to evangelize that we might be an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness to the world. You know, Matthew 4.18, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So we're here. God has a purpose in life to, to grow us, to mature us, and that we might be used to glorify and honor Him. But there are some problems that we run into. Yeah, we have a purpose, but there are also problems that we face. There are problems we face. Notice verse 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples are going away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it? That thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here we see there's, a, there's this problem of prejudice. I mean, you know, they've got an 
a prejudice here against one another. The Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans, and of course the Samaritans don't want anything to do with the Jews. And so there's this, there's this prejudice. And when we, when, in our journey, in our witness here in, in this world, we find people that don't want to accept us. They don't like us. They don't like us knocking on their doors. That's why they put signs, no soliciting. They don't want you knocking on our door. They don't want you. And we're not trying to sell them anything. You know, it's like I told the men. I don't even often say, invite them to our church. Till the end, till I'm ready to leave. I, what I'm there to talk about is the gospel. And if they would be interested in the Bible study, I wouldn't say anything about church. But there's this prejudice. There's just hatred of God's people. You know, and it's because they hate the Lord. So we have this problem that we face that we have to work to overcome. And, of course, Jesus faced it in his, in his life as well. But we also have another problem. That is we battle the flesh. You know, when I see a sign on the door, I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. Do I want to knock on that door? You know, what usually, and I'll be honest with you, when we go visiting, at least the first and second door, I really don't want to go. I don't want to, don't want to knock on it. It takes me, you know, after I get through the first or second person, then I'm, then I'm okay. But, you know, there's always this fear, and you might say, well, I didn't think you were afraid of anything. Well, there's always this fear somebody's going to say something nasty or be unkind. You know, believe it or not, I do have feelings most sometimes. Uh but, you know, we, we have those fears, those problems we face. And so our flesh says, I don't want to. I don't want to. Our flesh says, I don't want to obey God and do this. My flesh says, I don't want to trust God through my trials. I don't want to go through my trials. My flesh says, why do I have to go through this? So there's problems we face. Yeah, there's cultural problems. Verse 16 through 20, and, and this is typical of our culture. It says, Jesus said unto her, Go call the husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, And I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that sayest thou truly. Yeah. You know, we... And I'm sure you do know people that there may be five kids and five different parents in one house. Nathan was telling me, you know, this is about a year or so ago, he knocked on one door. We were out in visitation. There was two lesbians living at this house. And Nathan's, you know, he's, he, 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 he had a discussion with them. Uh, praise the Lord for, for you know, he, but, he, you know, he told me, you know, they said, well, you know, it's consensual and, you know, they think it's nothing wrong with it. And he said, well, just because, just because I think there's nothing wrong with it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with it. You know, who's our standard? Uh, so these are the problems we face. And, of course, Jesus addressed them problems and, and we need to simply give what the Bible says. But you know what the problem off is? We feel embarrassed to ask questions. 
don't know about you. Maybe you don't, but I do. I'm embarrassed to ask. Well, is this your wife, or is this your live-in, or this, you know, or who is this, or you know, we shouldn't be the ones that are embarrassed. But again, we have that problem. It's because of our flesh. Uh, we don't want to be we don't want to be offensive or or taken wrong, and so we're embarrassed. Uh, but you know, these are the kind of people they need the gospel. Look at Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two, and you know Jesus wasn't embarrassed to confront these people, and when I say confront, to give these people the gospel, even though he was ostracized by the religious of the day for doing so. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. It says, And he had passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. He said unto him, Follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now Levi would have been what they called a publican. Because Levi was a tax collector, so he was a Jewish man who made an arrangement with the Romans to tax his own people. And he was allowed to add the tax and make some extra money if he wanted to. That's why Zacchaeus was so hated. So really, according to the Jews, he was a traitor. But Jesus called him. That didn't set well. Notice verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he, that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, the Jews thought they were already righteous. They didn't need a Savior. So they got passed over, really. But Jesus said, I come to call sinners to repentance. You know, I can remember quite a few years back when I was early in the ministry, my wife and I witnessed this one lady, and we led her to the Lord. She wasn't liked in the area where we lived. And there were some people it didn't set well with. She started coming to our church. Um, but, you know, sinners need the gospel. No matter where they, where they are in life, what they are culturally, it does not matter. And so these are problems that we face. But I want you to notice the third thing. Notice our provision, the provision of the Lord in verse 10 it says, And the woman, Jesus answered, said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank there of himself, and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, you know, he, yes, he faced problems, and he, but he, he was uh, willing to overcome those problems. And, but he is the provision, or Jesus is the source 
of all life, of course, life eternal. He said, this water, if you take of this water that I give you, it shall be like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, when he's talking about a well of water that's springing up, he's talking about, he's referring to the, using the illustration of an artesian well. I don't know if you ever saw an artesian well. Do they have them in North Carolina? Uh, I don't know. But I remember one time we were, at, uh, we were working for this uh, elderly lady that my father-in-law knew, and, and there, was this, there was a spot in the ground out just beyond about from here to the wall from the corner of the house. And in the dry of summer, water just bubbled out of the ground. And they called it an artesian well. It's the only one I ever saw. You know, I've seen springs in a mountain. You know, and you'll have a you'll have a a, a, a a mountain or a ridge, and then at the the va- very bottom of the valley there will be a spring, and they call that a spring. But this was you know th- this was on top of the ground. You know, there wasn't a valley and it, and a hill here, and it came out at the bottom of the hill. No, it was just just you know the ground was kind of level there, but the water just bubbled right out of the ground, constant and. And she used it for her drinking water. It, it was just bubbling up. And he said, this water that I give you will bubble up. It will give you life, everlasting life. Life that cannot be taken away from you. It's, he is the source of power to live. You know, he's the source of eternal life. It is the source of eternal life. It is the source of power to live the Christian life as well. You know, he is the one that can give or satisfy our every need. Uh, if you notice, in, and again, in first, or, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You see, if we, once we get saved and the Holy Spirit takes up residence, he empowers us. He gives us the power not only to live for the Lord, but also to witness for the Lord. You know, I'm not an extrovert by nature. I was the guy in school that the teacher had to push to get to give a, um, um, what was that contest called? It was in Future Farmers America. And the, which was I was in, and they had a um, speaking contest, a public speaking contest. Now I had written a report. They had a they had a report, an essay contest also, and so I had written this essay about calf raising, and I got an A on it. But when they came around, and, and I put it into the contest. Because that's all I had to do. I had to put it. You know, I didn't have to stand up in front of anybody and give a speech. So I put it in the contest. That was okay. But when it came to the speaking contest, nah, no way, I'm going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to get up in front of people talk. So the ag teacher, Harold Cameron, you know, I've hated him ever since. No, not really. But he, he there was a couple guys that he, you know, that said they would, you know, consent, and they begrudgingly agreed to try and be part of the speaking contest. And they were out in the shop while everybody else was in the classroom trying to work on a, a speech for the speaking contest. And he went out there, and he was talking about after he got back in, he said, Jason, could you come here? So I went out and shop, and he had my essay, and he started reading it. He said, 
this would make an excellent speech. You ought to do it. You know, I wanted to hit him, but I didn't. I wasn't allowed to, you know. I'd have got more than hit when I got home if I did. But anyway, to make a long story short, I gave that speech, and here I am. Uh, but you see, God, and, and God, see, it isn't natural, come natural for me. God can empower you to do what he asks of you. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. See, Paul believed that what God said of him, he would do through him. That he could do it. And Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he is, the Lord is our provision. He's our source of life. He's our source of strength. He's our source of power uh, to live and obey the Lord. But I want you to notice a, a fourth thing here. Notice the prospects. If you drop down to verse uh, um, 35, verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Of course, the field, and we, if we go back to the parables in Matthew 13, the field is the world. And he says here that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. He said, said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. Now, when a field is white, or when a field of grain is white, it's not just at harvest, it's getting past harvest. And when that, when that wheat field... When I was at home and a boy on a farm, you know, dad grew wheat, he grew oats. And, um, but anyway, when that wheat field, when that wheat, the, the head started to hang down and it started to change color and, and get a lot lighter in color toward white. And some wheat was whiter than others and he had a, he had a kind of wheat that was called a white wheat. But anyway, when it started to get white, it was high time to harvest. It was going past. And Jesus says to lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. You know, we need, to, we need to stop and see that there are people who need the gospel. They need the gospel. Uh, sometimes we get busy and we don't stop and think about people and their needs. You know, I've already, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but I've already sat in a mall parking lot and just watched people walk in and out and then wonder. You know, maybe I should have got out of my car and got a handful of tracks and got on the, the sidewalk and talked to them when they came in. But, you know, you, 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 if you stop and consider people, you'll see that people have needs. They have needs. The world is in need, and the help that they need is the gospel. It's the gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38, the Bible says, When he saw the multitudes, speaking of Jesus, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, 
The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, we need to pray. You know, we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us to see the fields white. To pray for opportunities to give out the gospel. Because uh, people need the gospel. That's what they need. You know, Paul said that, he, that they were, uh, when, they, when they got the vision to go in Macedonia, they, were, they purposed to go in and preach the gospel because that's what men need. They need the gospel. He said, the, the, the vision said, come over and help us. And so the help that man needs is the, is the gospel. So we need to see the prospects. See people as God sees them. Lost in their sin, but yet people that God loves and Christ died for. And so we need to see the prospects. And then fifthly, there's a participation sought. Notice verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein you stowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So God seeks our participation in reaching the world with the gospel. He seeks our participation. You know, he, he seeks our help. You know, I mentioned the other morning, or I guess it was Thursday night, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says that we are co-laborers with God. You know, Paul, the, the church of Corinth was arguing about, you know, who was the greatest, whether some follow Paul and some follow Peter and some follow uh, Paulus, and, and then there were some that were real spiritual that followed Christ. And, and Paul said, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Cephas? You know, we're just laborers together with God. One plants, another waters, and God gives the increase. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, here is that saying true. One soweth, and another reapeth. You know, we're, God desires our participation and just for us to do our part. You know, it's not often you go out and you, or that you can talk to somebody and lead them to the Lord in one, one setting. That's rare nowadays. But one may plant a seed, and another may water that seed, and another may bring that seed to fruition. But we are, but God, what, what God wants from us is our participation in that. And there are several ways we can participate. And I think we should participate in all of these. Number one, by prayer. By praying. Again, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he asked them, he says, praying always, Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that others may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So you people at Ephesus, you pray for me. You pray for me. That I may have boldness. Pray for those that I'm going to preach to. And so we can participate by prayer. Remember Revelation was it Revelation 5? Said there's, there's incense. The smoke of the incense was the prayers of the saints. 
That's pleasing to God. And we can participate even, we can even participate in the, the ministry in Russia and Greenland and, and Portugal and, and uh, Mexico. You know, these places, through our prayers, we can participate. Of course, we can also participate by giving. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, again, we read this Thursday night, that Paul wrote to the churches of Macedonia and then the church of Philippi, where he said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16, For even the Thessalonica you sent once again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may bound to your account. So they had participated in Paul's ministry, in the missions of uh, his missions uh, ministry, by giving, by by providing financial means. That's what faith promise is all about. And then, of course, we can also participate. And again, this is a joint effort between with us and the Holy Spirit of God by witnessing. By witnessing. By going out and knocking on doors. By witnessing to those that we work with. By witnessing to those that we run into and, and are acquainted with uh, as we have opportunity. You know, we, we have the privilege to participate with God and reaching men and women with the gospel. And God desires, in fact, he's ordained it, that men and women, boys and girls, come to Christ through our witness. Through our witness. And so, you know, of course we do that. Our witness, as I mentioned, you know, a life that's honorable. Look at First Timothy, or First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> you know, our, our, our witness requires a life that's pleasing to the Lord. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstained from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So, so, you know, we, when, when, and the, when we're talking about the day of visitation there, we're talking about the day of trials, the day of calamity, when problems strike the house or the home of those that we've witnessed to that are not saved. They should be able to look to us and say, they have hope. They have a purpose in life. They have some answers. They have a reason for living. Maybe I can find help there that's what he's referring to Paul wrote about the Thessalonians he said from you from you sounded out the word for you were examples of them in Achaia examples so we need to have a life that's pleasing and honoring to the Lord and of course we witness by word of mouth you know how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace of glad tidings. You know, we need, to, we need to give out the gospel. You know, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, when the, when the, when the 
the believers, and I don't like this term, but when the laymen were driven out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, the apostles stayed. When the, when the persecution came in Jerusalem, the apostles stayed. The pastoral staff stayed. It was the people that were driven out, and it says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. See, wherever they went, they witnessed about the love of God that they had received. They, you see, they were participating in giving out the gospel. They were participating with God in giving out the gospel. You see, we do have a purpose in this life. I asked the atheist the other day, so what purpose do you have in living? I mean, after this life, he said, well, you know, I'm raising my kids and teaching them to do good and be nice and kind and all that, you know, so that's the purpose I have. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, that's, uh, see, I, I, have a, I have an eternal purpose. I have a higher purpose than that. It doesn't end with this life. In fact, I said, that's the only reason I'm here. And I said, I don't have to do this. I do it because I want to. I said, because I'm concerned about your soul. I'm concerned about your soul. He said, I appreciate it, but, you know, we just don't agree. You know, Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. But see, we have that provision, that living water, that eternal life that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that gives us power to live the Christian life, that gives us purpose and meaning. And we can have a part, we can participate with God be laborer together in giving out the gospel. You know, through our, through our witness here, through faith promise giving, uh, we have opportunities to work together to glorify God that those here and abroad might hear the gospel and believe. Oh, might God help us just be faithful in giving out the gospel and partnering with him that we might bring glory and honor him and that souls may be saved and brought into his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement, the challenge it gives to us, and thank you for the privilege we have to work together, be laborers together with God, with you, in getting the gospel to those around us and those out of our reach, to the regions beyond. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us just to consider this matter seriously and to be busy um, in faithful service to you as a witness and testimony. I just thank you and praise you for it all. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.